Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time in part one of my interview with Michael King, Director of Community Alliances for Massachusetts Family Institute, we spoke of the dangers of so-called comprehensive sex education. As introduced previously, Massachusetts Family Institute is a proactive public voice on a number of issues, including but not limited to strengthening, protecting, and preserving marriage between a man and a woman, preserving life from conception to natural death, protecting our first freedoms of religious liberty and free speech, promoting parents' rights regarding education and welfare of their children, and the benefits of sexual abstinence. With regard to comprehensive sex education, as discussed in the last show, it is important to recognize that the corruption of the meaning of sexuality, the meaning of our bodies, is central to the efforts of the culture of death. Abortion is a direct result of the perversion of sexuality. The sexual revolution of the 1960s was largely brought about by the widespread availability of contraception and abortion became necessary to the death culture as well as a profitable backup should contraception fail, which it often does. So goes the thinking of the culture of death proponents. Thus, contraception, which literally means against the beginning, that is, the beginning of human life, is rotten fruit of the same sick tree from which abortion derives, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This death choice is then mirrored on the other end of life spectrum with the acceptance of euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. Corrupt notions of consent and autonomy have come to mean in our death culture that individuals have a so-called right to kill their offspring and themselves. It has also come to mean that you can have sex with whomever you want as long as there is consent. Some would even extend this to minors. All that matters in this libertine view of sexuality is that it be done safely, with abortion as a backup. These perverse ideas of sexuality are increasingly being purveyed in our public schools. In fact, so-called comprehensive sex education in the schools is key to promoting the culture of death under the guise of promoting the notions of consent 
autonomy, and health. It is also part of the corrupt business plan of Planned Parenthood to provide a feeder system to their death chambers. Last time we discussed the successful effort of many to have parents opt out of so-called comprehensive sex education, where the parents of more than 3,000 children have opted out of pornographic comprehensive sex education in the Worcester public schools. On October 27, 2021, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette had an article quoting Bishop Robert McManus regarding a letter that he sent to Worcester public school parents in early September asking parents to review the rights, respect, and responsibility curriculum and urging parents to opt out their children from this morally bankrupt program. Bishop McManus was quoted in the Telegram and Gazette from his letter to parents where he stated, I find the program to be morally unacceptable for our Catholic children or for any child. It is age inappropriate, explicit, and reflects a shallow, trivial, amoral view of sex. It is a radical program of indoctrination of children with views contrary to the Catholic understanding of sex, gender, and the human person. The Telegram and Gazette article went on to describe excerpts from the rights, respect, and responsibility curriculum. For example, a section for kindergarten students teaches anatomy that includes biologically correct terms for reproductive organs and erogenous zones as well as an exercise for kindergarten students to identify where erogenous zones can be found on the body. Another excerpt for sixth graders explains different forms of sexual intercourse. An excerpt for seventh graders details the level of risk for sexually transmitted diseases associated with various intimate acts, and an excerpt for ninth graders features a demonstration of putting a condom on a model or on a banana. Today you'll hear part two of my recent interview with Michael King of Massachusetts Family Institute where we discuss further how this debasement of sexuality naturally feeds into the abortion business. We will also discuss the recent Supreme Court case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, where the Supreme Court is currently considering the constitutionality of Mississippi's ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. This is the best opportunity in 50 years to limit abortion 
and possibly strike down Roe v. Wade. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer, for as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? O God, we cannot hide from you. Psalm 139 verses 11 to 14 says, Surely darkness shall hide me, and night shall be my light. Darkness is not dark for you, and night shines as the day. Darkness and light are but one. You formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My very self you know. Lord, help us to understand the awesomeness of your gift of sexuality and the resulting love and life which follows. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part two of my interview with Michael King of Massachusetts Family Institute. Bit of a segue, this um, sex education kind of leads uh, kids to be sexually active early, and that gives more business to uh, Planned Parenthood who makes uh, you know, some money doing uh, abortions, obviously. And there was a, um, as every, most people know, that the uh, Dobbs case was uh, just heard and uh, trying to um, severely uh, limit uh, abortion and hopefully um, uh, overrule uh, Roe versus Wade. Uh, okay. uh, and I know that, um, I think MFI submitted a amicus brief on this. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're really excited about uh, this case. Uh, as you know, um, I think we won't find out the results until June of 2022. Right. Um, you know, but from what I, what I could tell from the uh, commentary, you know, that I, I, people were genuinely optimistic, yeah. um, you know, about, about how things went on December 1st. Yeah, I listened to uh, most of the hearing, and uh, I was, you know, really uh, encouraged. I have to kind of dampen my enthusiasm <laughs> because right. I, I don't want to get uh, disappointed. But, but it really sure. looks like there's going to be some um, restriction, if not totally um, overrule, uh, Roe v. Yeah. Wade. So um, Yeah. No, I mean, even, even Justice Roberts was, you know, asking uh, good questions about viability and um, you know I think the, the main takeaway I took from it was that um, two things w- was one of the points that Mississippi was trying to make uh, was you know there have been laws that have been put on the book that have been later overturned right. you know, like um, you know Plessy or like the Dred Scott you know where right. 
you know, we've learned as a society, you know, okay, we did pass these, they were precedent, but now we're saying they're not good precedent, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really good point. And then also that technology has changed, right? right. And so when we, when we talk about viability, which really seemed to be a, a real key part of previous rulings uh, on, on this abortion issue, you know, now we can really point to modern day technology and say, yes, yeah. that baby is viable. That baby feels pain right. from a scientific point of view. Right. I mean, we always knew as, as believers, obviously, we always uh, want to go all the way back to conception, of course. But mm-hmm. um, I just thought that, you know, because of the change in technology, I, I was even more encouraged that we could have yeah, a, a absolutely. better Well, back in... Uh 1973, ultrasound was really in its infancy, and it wasn't Mm. widely available. And so we didn't have that uh, window into the womb. And so people were very um, ignorant. And I know that uh, once people were able to see the baby, and this was a living person moving, having all of its parts um, by Mm. uh, eight weeks and having a beating heart at about 18 days after uh, conception, it became harder and harder to rationalize um, Mm. abortion. And many people may know the story about Bernard Nathanson. Dr. Nathanson had done 75,000 abortions. And it wasn't until he saw ultrasound that he Mm. finally realized that this was wrong. And he, he had that video called The Silent Scream, and he could see the uh, very distressed with a wide open mouth uh, fetus before right. being destroyed in an abortion. Yeah. Uh, and so they he put up the movie, the silent scream, right? Yes, that's right. The silent scream. And he had a profound conversion to uh, Christianity. He was um, raised as uh, in the Jewish faith, but his mm. uh, father, it, w- it was very weird because uh, I remember reading that his father made him go to um, religious education in the Jewish faith and, and, but he ridiculed him when he, you mm. know, he kind of made fun of, so he became an atheist and he became an abortionist and it wasn't, mm. and then when he, he, he describes um, talking to pro-life groups as he started to change his mind and he, and he, he described how he felt his hard shell of atheism begin to mm. crack and wow. then he ultimately made a complete uh, uh, conversion to Christianity. Um, so it's very, uh, you know, with, like you say, with with the new technology we have and viability being pushed back earlier and earlier, it looks very hopeful that um, this will be overturned. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting to think about how these different laws are going to affect, you know, how the states, how our republic reacts, um, you know, because, I, I mean, just from my own perspective, this gets overturned and and now really what would happen as i understand it is states would then have the right to decide how they want to handle abortion laws and you know you could very well see i mean we're already seeing this with you know the vaccine mandates as as a good example where people are leaving massachusetts for example to go to a more liberty state whether it be new hampshire or whether it be as far south as florida mm-hmm. and i think is we have these kinds of laws now where it's like okay now you're an abortion state or you're or abortion, yeah. you know is, is a legal state right yeah. so yeah you know i could definitely see the consequences of 
you know, a, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going into a civil war, but you can see the consequences of the exactly. civil war where, you know, yeah. Abraham Lincoln tried so hard to keep our union right. together right. that maybe without a war, we we are going to fall apart because we're going to become red state, blue state America. Right, right. It's like, a, you know, slave state, free state all over again. Right. And like That's you right. said, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll have drastically different uh, abortion laws. Texas, for instance, their heartbeat bill, uh, their heartbeat law, which is in effect now, right. um, is to, I can forget now, was it six weeks? I think it's, it's either six weeks or eight weeks. Or mm. No, I, I, think it, I think it says as, as soon as you can see a beating heart, mm. which on an ultrasound is probably only about uh, six weeks. It's about six weeks that right. you can see a, a beating heart. Whereas, and I, and I, I, I was reading somewhere the other day that said um, the vast majority of abortions are done after, what is it, eight weeks or 15 weeks? Yeah, the, the vast majority are done in the first trimester, so up to about 12 weeks. And, uh, and a lot of those are they're becoming more and more um, you know, medical abortions, about 50% right. of abortions now are are done by uh, RU486 or Mifepristone. Right. Yeah. And I know there was some movement to make make that illegal too, which would which would be Yeah. fantastic. Well, that would be illegal in in places like uh, Texas and Mississippi once you get once you can see a a beating heart, but getting back to the whole blue state red state, um abortion state, not abortion state, if hmm. it, if it gets to that, you know the uh, situation in Massachusetts, the so-called um, Roe Act, and I know you've been right. you've been very involved with that, along with all of uh, MFI. Can you just say a little bit about uh, where we stand now? And in, in Massachusetts, we've got Texas going in one direction, and we're going right. radically in another direction. I know it really is something else, you know. And we had this was last uh, Christmas, so a year yeah, ago, exactly. Uh, you know, when the uh, legislature took this up and decided, hey, you know, I mean, look, we, we had heard from radical left legislators that this Roe Act was dead on arrival, you know, that yeah. to, to take the age from 18 to 16 and to remove judicial consent and to remove parental consent for a 16-year-old. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, you know, we were hearing that that was just not acceptable, even to some of the most far-left individuals in our legislature. Um, and then COVID hit. And they thought, okay, well, now we have a little cover, mm-hmm. and what we'll do is we'll make an Amendment 759 in the budget, yeah. which, you know, who, who even knew that there were that many amendments in the budget, let alone the most, I mean, you can make the argument that this is the most controversial piece of legislation ever to be passed in Massachusetts, yeah. and they stuck it in the budget discussion. Yeah. Um, and so we had raised awareness and, you know, sent it out to thousands of people by text and email. And, and I guarantee you, we had thousands of phone calls being made to the state house, to the governor, especially. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the governor vetoed what the house and Senate had passed regarding this awful, what we call the infanticide bill. Right, right. And then, um, the house had over two thirds, you know, barely over two thirds majority to override the governor's veto. And, uh, you know, while everybody was celebrating Christmas really, and, and new year's is yeah. when, uh, they passed this yeah. awful, awful bill. Yeah. It was, it was very sneaky and, and ironically it was passed on the day after Christmas. 
You know, so yeah. we, we celebrate the birth of Christ, and then the next day we legalize infanticide. It was just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. They yeah, we're they, celebrating the birth of an of the infant Jesus, right? Yeah, and this is this is when they decide. I mean, and you can't help but think that you know. I mean, just the the evil, yeah. really, the intentional evil. I mean, yeah, call it what it is. I mean, yeah. To, Choose that time of the year to do such a right. thing was just absolutely. You know, I, I thought of the book of uh, Revelation when uh, the dragon uh, came to the woman and was ready to devour her mm. child. And that kind of imagery, which is so absolutely sadly appropriate for what yeah. was happening uh, again on the day after Christmas. And like you said, yeah. it. It not only it, it, it legalized infanticide because it removed language that said that if a baby's born alive, you have to resuscitate that baby. They removed that That's language right. and just replaced it with, oh, you have to have resuscitative equipment in the room, which is <laughs> very deceptive. It says, oh, oh, well, that's good. But they don't say you have to use it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, no, I mean, they, they actually, the abortion doctor from Worcester, um, I don't know if you remember during the initial hearings on this, where we outnumbered Planned Parenthood, um, you know, with all the people in the red shirts at the state house, probably mm-hmm. about a thousand people in red shirts and, and um, you know, in support of life that day. Uh, the abortion doctor from Worcester had said basically that we're going to remove all the safeguards. I believe, I believe it was called Section 12. Mm-hmm. in the original law and we're just going to leave it up to the abortion doctor yeah, right. to decide if they want to resuscitate the child or not i yeah. mean it's just beyond the pale yeah, it's unbelievable and then like you said the other thing was they removed the consent there's that that uh, great word again the age of consent right. from 18 to 16 well that even it took pushback to get it to 60 they, they wanted to eliminate uh, eliminate it uh, totally for for any age, right? right. And uh, and it wasn't until people pushed back that they said, okay, well, sixteen, and and basically yeah. what that means is, if you're a sixteen year old and you're pregnant, you don't need your parents' consent, you don't even need to see a judge, you can just walk right. into Planned Parenthood. Uh, the only adults that need be involved would be the abortionist or perhaps the um, you know the sex trafficker. That's right. Uh, and and they wanted to do that for even lower than they wanted to do that down to you know as soon as you can get pregnant, you know, 15, right. 14, know. 13. It was amazing. And then it really is. It's unbelievable. I mean, and your point about the sex trafficking, you would you would think that even people on the left would be somewhat compassionate to that idea. Yeah. Of saying, look, you, you've taken the parent out of the room, you've taken the judge out of the room, and who's left? The sex trafficker. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, it's just the the, the, the 16-year-old woman and the sex trafficker. I yeah. mean, that's really what you want. And, and, and these are people that, that are concerned about about women. Right. It, it, it just, it's just uh, staggering. And the other thing about this is that uh, it up to 24... First of all, it, it keeps abortion um, legal right up until the third trimester and even in, uh, up to infanticide. But it right. allows what we call physician extenders, like nurse practitioners and physician assistants, right. that they're allowed to do abortions up until 23 weeks yeah. in this, in this uh, bill. So uh, a, 
a baby, you know, you're really far along, and it's very dangerous to the woman, mm-hmm. never mind the, the, the unborn baby. But there, right. it's dangerous to the uh, woman to do an abortion that late. And to leave this right. in the hands of physician assistants and nurse practitioners who have like one-tenth the training as a physician is, is uh, not pro-woman, that's for sure. <laughs> no. No, it's not. It's really quite something. And I mean, to your original point is that we were trying, as you know, I mean, obviously you were part of this uh, referendum you know, recently to gather signatures. And, you know, this was just a question to remove the infanticide part of it, to reinstate the safeguards. And so you could still, even if this referendum passed uh, and got on the ballot in 2022, uh, you could still in Massachusetts get an abortion all the way up until birth, um, as I understand it. So, you know, there's just such a long way to go on this. And and I've told um, people, I said, look, you know, it is, it can be very daunting in Massachusetts when it comes to this issue of life, and our legislature is dominated, as you know, by by socialists, leftly. I mean, leftists yeah. in our in yeah. our House and Senate. Right. I mean, they just passed the sex ed mandate in the Senate, thirty nine to one. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, you know, so I mean, talk about uh, a monopoly uh, yeah. in in the in both in the Senate and the House. But I tell people, look, we got to take this fight to the local level, like we're doing with the sex ed, mm-hmm. and you know, we got to just. Um, take it one town at a time and build that momentum and we're having tremendous success regarding the sex which is really the precursor to abortion right i mean right. If you can get to right. the middle school child and yeah. say, okay, let's not let's not expose you to this mm-hmm. um and then you know also i think what we need to do is just promote pregnancy care centers promote mm-hmm. life as best we can and really i think getting the church to talk about this issue which we've been somewhat successful in doing, but we'd love to see more and more of that to create a culture in every parish and church to, you know, educate. Where's the pregnancy care center? All right, who do you know that you can, you know, can you tell one or two people even this month or this year about, you know, that might be in crisis about Mm -hmm. uh, the pregnancy care center in your area or, or whatever it might be? And just, you know, if we can't get good laws, then let's change people's minds and hearts so that they don't want to go get an abortion. Right, right. This concludes part two of my conversation with Michael King, Director of Community Alliances for Massachusetts Family Institute. Tune in next time for part three, when we will discuss the third pillar of the culture of death, physician-assisted suicide. Pillar number one, in the words of Bishop McManus, is the shallow, trivial, amoral view of sex, which is now taught in so-called comprehensive sex education. Pillar number two is abortion as a backup and cover-up of the abuse of sexuality. And pillar number three, our main topic next time, is the disposal of the dying, the despairing, the disabled, the disadvantaged, and the disenfranchised people of Massachusetts via physician-assisted suicide. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first 
Do No Harm. First, Do No Harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.